Burnout is not a new topic when it comes to healthcare. And while burnout existed before the COVID-19 pandemic, the additional burden placed on healthcare workers has worsened across the industry and pharmacists are no different. So today I'm doing something a little bit different for those of you who are watching on YouTube. This is a podcast-based episode, so you're going to just see a recording of me making the podcast. For those of you who are elsewhere, you're just going to hear the audio, and that's perfectly fine, but if you want the visual, YouTube's your place. And I'm going to be reviewing a recent Pharmacy Times article. I printed it out here. It's called Pharmacist Report, High Levels of Burnout Resulting in Understaffing and Alternative Career Paths. And the content of this article that they released is based on the results of the 2023 Pharmacy Times Burnout and Mental Health Survey. And I wanted to follow along with this and kind of give some additional background in the information they are presenting here and maybe some of the other research that is out there because it doesn't go too far into depth of where some of these results may be stemming from and what we can do about them. So if you do want to follow along or read the original article as I go through it. I'm going to be hitting the high points, but not every single thing in the article. It will be linked in the show notes or the description, depending on where you're watching or listening. And it can also be found at happyfarmlife.com slash resources slash HPL 106. So before I get too in-depth in how the respondents actually answered the questions in the survey... I want to point out that there were only 194 respondents out of the like 325,000 pharmacists that are practicing in the United States. So it's a very small subset of pharmacists and there were very specific practice settings that they were in. So I will share those here and I don't want to get them wrong. So I'm just going to read them to you. 53.6% said that they worked in a community pharmacy chain store. 27.3% worked in a health system. So a little over a quarter. And 7.7% worked in an independent community pharmacy, 77 worked in a different environment, so things like industry or academia, and 3.61% said they were not currently employed. So, you know, roughly 4% of these people aren't employed at all, and a lot of them are in some sort of community pharmacy setting. So when they started reviewing burnout, I want to make sure that we understand what that is. So burnout is a syndrome of chronic workplace stress that has three different dimensions as defined by the World Health Organization. This is feeling of energy depletion or exhaustion. The second is increased mental distance from your jobs or feelings of cynicism. And then the last is reduced professional efficiency or efficacy, however you want to look at that. Basically, you were losing productivity from yourself or your employees if they are experiencing burnout. They created a scale from one to seven, one being not at all, and seven being extremely to determine how much somebody experienced burnout. And they asked them to rate their burnout pre-pandemic. So before the COVID-19 pandemic hit, how burned out did they feel? And the response to that was 3.82 on that scale of one to seven. So still over halfway, a little bit closer to the seven than the one. But when you compare that to the score of post-pandemic numbers, that score was 5.89. So significantly higher than those pre-pandemic numbers. But when you're looking at a survey like this, where you're asking somebody to go back, well, how did you feel four years ago? Sometimes those numbers can be inaccurate because time and worsening the experience now 
can make those numbers not reflect how somebody truly felt in that moment. You're comparing it to how you feel now post-pandemic, which we're going to talk about in a moment, how much COVID has exacerbated burnout for pharmacists. It's kind of that grass was greener back in the day sort of situation where these numbers, I think, truly do reflect the fact that people feel like the pandemic has made things worse, but the level of worsening is really hard to look at from this perspective when you're going and asking people to retrospectively review how they felt four years ago. So just keep that in mind with those numbers. But when they ask people to rate how much the COVID-19 pandemic exacerbated their feelings of burnout, that averaged a six out of seven. So significant increase in how people thought burnout increased because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And there are a lot of things that I think contributed to that. First is increased workload. And I think that's across the board in many settings. So for people who are working in a hospital or health system like me, I worked in pediatrics. So initially, pediatrics and women's health were decreased levels. And that changed over the course of the pandemic. And so we were actually closer to 2021 down in like December, 2021 is I think when we really saw the biggest impact and hit, but we saw a huge influx in inpatients, people who were experiencing COVID that were coming into our hospitals. We similarly can say that community pharmacists got hit first, but they also had an increase in workload. So they were giving the COVID-19 vaccine whenever it became available. They were doing a lot of COVID-19 testing right out of the gate. And they were one of those first-line healthcare workers that were getting patients coming in for treatments or asking questions. They were also the public perception of healthcare workers that they were having to deal with, especially those community-based pharmacists, whether they're in ambulatory care or in a retail community pharmacy setting. The public at first saw healthcare workers as heroes. We also saw that there were even people who are legislators that did not realize that pharmacists were healthcare workers and were not including them in their statements about healthcare workers. They were leaving them out or calling them non-healthcare workers completely. And then we saw the public's perception change of healthcare workers where they started to distrust healthcare workers or think that we were part of the problem with the pandemic rather than part of the solution. And so there was a lot of public perception of our healthcare workers necessarily, like, I don't want to put good or bad, but they went from being like good heroes to bad negative connotation in a lot of people's eyes. And then there was also the staffing changes and expectations. So expectation that you are going to do more with less happened. There were also people who were out sick because of COVID. And at first you were going to be out for a significant period of time. I think it was like two weeks for some people, or if you were even exposed, you were being sent home and quarantined for two weeks. And so when you think about how many people were getting quarantined or told to stay home or getting sick and having to stay home for long periods of time, that was also a huge impact at the beginning of the pandemic. And even continues now, like it's, I think a minimum of five days in a lot of places still have kept that to stay home before you come back if you've tested positive. Lots of things can change your workflow and your workload when you throw the pandemic on top of a already stressed system because healthcare workers were already feeling this before the pandemic. In 2019, actually, the National Academies of Medicine released a huge document outlining everything that was going on with healthcare workers and burnout. So that was even before the pandemic. 
And so many of the factors that they are mentioning as contributors, things that I just mentioned here, were worsened by the pandemic. So that is a huge stressor for sure. So another piece was staffing contributing to the overwhelm and burnout that they brought up in this particular uh, survey. So feelings of burnout were significantly driven by the feeling of understaffing. And it's not just the feeling of understaffing, it was probably truly understaffing, but the way they address this is they ask whether burnout has contributed to understaffing in their facility. And 75.8% of the respondents said yes, 13.9% answered no, and 10.3% were unsure. I would say there's probably a lot of people who don't know if other people are experiencing burnout or maybe don't feel comfortable saying anything. There's still a lot of stigma behind depression, anxiety, mental health in general when it comes to healthcare workers, which is so ironic because we're the ones who should be helping more than anybody, but we are concerned about sharing that with others and just in society as a whole. So I think that may be where the 10.3% are unsure. So the next topic on this survey was what the key drivers of burnout were, what people thought they were, perceived these key drivers to be. And they were given multiple response questions. There were some open response, but I want to focus on those top five drivers of burnout that people defined in this survey. So the first was workload. Over 20% of the people thought that their workload was the biggest driver of burnout. This was the top driver in the survey. Second was work-life balance. And we're going to come back to this one in a moment. Third was challenging or unreasonable performance metrics. This probably stems for a lot of increase in needing to do point of care tests like the COVID test and needing to do more vaccines in that community and retail setting, but also for people who are inpatient, potentially being asked to take on more orders per day than they were asked to previously. The next one was management. And then the last of those top five drivers, number five, was high patient and prescription volumes, which I mentioned earlier being a issue. So when you look at these five different drivers of burnout, only one, work-life balance, do you really have too much control over? You can't really control your workload on your own, challenging or reasonable performance metrics. If you're not the one setting the metrics, you're not going to be able to manage that. If you're not management, you can't change management. And if you have high patient prescription volumes, especially when these are fluxing so much, which is what we've seen throughout the pandemic is there's waves coming through. And we see that regularly with the flu and other like respiratory illnesses. So that's not necessarily uncommon, but when you're hitting those waves and having high patient and prescription volumes and short staffing, all of that con contributes to burnout, but really work-life balance is the only one you have a lot of control over. So this brings up that point that ultimately, if we're going to turn the corner in healthcare related burnout, we need to change that at a higher level than the individual. Building resiliency is awesome. That can reduce your risk of burnout and it can help you stay out of burnout longer and closer to that well-being. But it is not going to fix the problem for everyone in at some point, everybody has their tipping point where they can be resilient, 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 and you hit that ceiling where resiliency is just not enough anymore. And so regardless, I think that, and it's not just me thinking, the research has shown this and the recommendations from the National Academy of Medicine has shown we need systemic change, not just at an institutional level, 
but even at a legislative level, because a lot of burnout comes from these performance metrics that are passed from a legal standpoint. This is not an individual fix. We can help people on an individual level, but that ultimately is not going to be what stops or prevents burnout. So the next topic I want to talk about is the top five symptoms of burnout from these respondents. So the first was irritability or impatience with colleagues, patients, or others. And I feel like we hear this all the time, and especially those people who are working in community. My husband works in retail. I used to work in a retail pharmacy. You know, you have a level of tolerance for people being irritable with you. You try to put yourself in the patient's shoes. They've already been to the doctor. They have a lot of things going on. They are having to now wait for their prescription when they may have waited for the physician for an hour. They have a they have a lot on their plate. They're probably sick or they're with a sick loved one. So you try to remember that, but that only goes so far, especially when you are overworked and burned out. The next symptom was lack of energy or productivity. So we talked about that decreased productivity level there. That also goes into emotional exhaustion. If you are emotionally exhausted Physically, you will see some symptoms as well. The next is reluctance to get up and go to work each morning. So that brings in both the emotional exhaustion and maybe some of that cynicism. The next is feelings of hopelessness or defeat. And this one is really hard to overcome and I think ties into that reluctance to get up and go to work because if you're feeling helpless or defeated, it's a lot harder to get yourself motivated to get up out of bed and get to work on time. And then the last symptom, at least on this top five list, was decreased sense of accomplishment. And this is so sad to hear because pharmacists do a lot to take care of patients and hopefully would recognize that they are making an impact on the community. But when you are doing so much work to reach metrics rather than help patients, I think that sense of accomplishment goes down for a lot of people. Also, there are a lot more signs of burnout, and I actually created a list of the top 10 common signs of burnout. So if you want to check that out, it's a free PDF on my website. You can go to happyfarmlife.com slash burnout signs and just see if any of those relate to you. Some of those are similar to what is listed here, but there are a few other ones mentioned in that PDF that are not on this list. So if you're curious about where you stand right now, that could be a good resource for you. So the next piece of this survey that I want to talk about is the ability to take on new responsibilities. And I think of this as professional development. As pharmacists, we are constantly learning. I have rarely found a pharmacist who doesn't like to learn most of us have our favorite like drug fun facts that we like to share with people or we we're there to help people. We want to learn more so we can help more and there's new drugs coming out all the time. And so this new responsibilities section that they brought up, like, can you take on new responsibilities? Are you interested in taking new responsibilities on? I think it's really important that they brought this up because this is where you are going to grow as a pharmacist. And I think there's a lot of fulfillment that comes from growing as a professional. There's a lot of pride in what we do and being able to expand our knowledge base and our sense of accomplishment with our job if we're taking on new responsibilities, especially responsibilities that we love. And one of the interesting things, it wasn't brought into the survey, but I want to talk about is how much do you have to love your job in order for it to kind of counteract burnout? And honestly, it's not even that much. Around 20% of your job being focused in things that you truly love to do can help reduce your risk of burnout and usually is like a driver to prevent burnout. But 
if you can't take on those new responsibilities that you love or would really help bring in that sense of accomplishment in your job, then it's going to be harder to prevent burnout. And you're not going to be able to develop as a professional as quickly as you might like. So when it comes to the ability to take on new responsibilities, almost 64% of the respondents said they wanted to do more and wanted to take on more responsibilities, but they didn't think that they could or feel like they could due to their current workload. That is a lot of people. That is well over half of the respondents. Around 25% just said it completely wasn't possible. Like they weren't even thinking about it. It was not on their radar because they just weren't at the point that that was even a thing that they could think about. And then only 7.7% said they were ready and able to take on new responsibilities. And it's so disheartening to think that these pharmacists who have spent years of their life growing and developing professionally feel like they can't take on any new or additional responsibilities. And I think one of the biggest things for me as a new practitioner is being able to take on new responsibilities and learning my boundaries, learning what I love. Because even though I did residency and I was a student and got to round in different place, as you start your career, you're learning what you truly like as a pharmacist, because what you're doing as a student especially is different than actually putting into practice as a pharmacist. This could be more impactful to our new practitioners who maybe you know, don't have the experience and want to take on new things to learn more. And then also for those pharmacists who have been doing the same thing for a while, they're not necessarily getting bored, but just looking for new opportunities and change. They would also, I think, be pretty impacted by the inability to take on new responsibilities. And this is something I've personally experienced. So recently there was a really awesome opportunity that aligned with my future goals as a pharmacist at my job. But looking at my current workload, I chose not to pursue it because I knew that I would be tipping that work-life balance, work-life harmony shift significantly if I took on anything more at work. So I said no, but I would have liked to even had the opportunity to look into that. So speaking of work-life balance or work-life harmony, that was the next portion of this. And the results were that only 25% of the respondents believe their jobs enabled them to have work-life balance. And so for me, I don't like to think of it as work-life balance. I'm more like work-life integration, work-life harmony, those types of words instead, because I don't believe you have the equal amount of work and equal amount of life all the time. Like that's an unrealistic expectation. So for example, when I was studying for boards, that was more work. I was doing more pharmacist stuff. I was having to spend more time on my pharmacy life than my personal life. And that was just a phase of life a couple of months when I was studying for boards. Really, I only studied like hard for a month, but that's an example there. So when I was trying to get BCPPS, more work was going towards that. More of my time was going to work. I wasn't going on walks with my husband like I am now. Summertime is more of a life phase where I'm taking more vacation time. I'm doing stuff with him after work. I have family things on the weekend. So I'm pulling back a little bit of this social media part of my life as well. Thanksgiving and Christmas is another more life time for me. And then months that I have a student on rotations tends to be more work because I am spending a lot of time with them, making sure they're getting a good experience, which may mean I have to do some of the things at home, such as maybe their evaluations in order to get everything done. So there are going to be times where you do need to do more work. 
And there are going to be times where you maybe take off the gas and hit the brakes a little bit and spend more time in life. But if only 25% of people believe that their job even enables them to hit the gas or hit the brake when they want, that's a problem. And that problem leads to people considering something else, considering leaving pharmacy. So in this survey, 80% of pharmacists have considered an alternative career path. These are people who went to school for six plus years. Most of them probably have doctorate degrees. They've spent tens of thousands of dollars to get their training. Most of them likely make six-figure salaries. And these are pharmacists who are ready to be done. And that is so sad. It should raise a ton of alarms that we as a profession and a healthcare system are doing something very wrong in how we treat pharmacists if 80% of them are considering an alternative career path after dedicating so many hours and years of their lives to training and the amount of money that this costs them in order to even step foot in a pharmacy with that title of pharmacist. That leads me to what is being done about the working conditions by companies. And they did ask the respondents about this in the survey. And so want to tie that back. So we have those five top drivers that I mentioned earlier being something that more so the companies can manage versus the individual. The question that they asked was, has the company taken measures to improve working conditions? And over half of the respondents said no. And this includes things like ensuring your staff is taking breaks or can get lunch. And it's 2023, and we are still fighting for pharmacists to get a lunch break in some instances. We're seeing more chains do this. But I feel like that's the bare minimum we should be doing to prevent burnout is allowing people to actually eat and go to the restroom because I know pharmacists who have told me that they will go six, seven, eight, ten hours without even getting to step away from the bench and go to the restroom. Huge issue. Major problems with burnout if you can't even do basic human functions like going to the restroom and eating. Also with this, 80 or 8.2, not 82, 8.2% didn't know if anything had taken place to try to prevent burnout. And when we think that 8.2 of the respondents had no idea if their company was doing anything shows a disconnect between the staff and management, which is probably why management was listed as one of those top five drivers. Because if you don't even know what management may be trying to do, it's really hard to feel confident that something's going to get better. That hope is lost if nobody's talking to you about what they're doing to try to improve your life. So even if somebody's saying, you know, we know that understaffing is an issue, but here are the things that we're doing. You know, we are recruiting here, here, and here. We are prioritizing those interviews on our agenda for the week. Whatever that may be, that helps give hope to the staff, even if they're not super confident it's going to happen. There's just that little inkling of hope. And if that doesn't exist, that also is going to make burnout worse. So there were 39.2% of people, though, who said that they knew that their company was doing something, but only 9.3% of those respondents said that they thought that those interventions that had been done by their company were successful at improving the conditions where they worked. I do wonder, and the, it didn't go into details here, but I do wonder, you know, how long 
prior to them being asked if it was successful, had it been since those changes were made? Because burnout prevention and well-being are skills. Like you can't go to the gym once and expect to have six-pack abs. You have to do repeated measures, work on that for weeks to months to years, me probably forever the rest of my life if I wanted abs. The point here being is they take time. It's not going to happen overnight. So I do wonder how long it had been since those changes were made that you know, these people were saying it wasn't working. The other piece of this is, you know, even if you're working on something, if you are dealing with significant issues elsewhere, you're going to have to do more to see or feel the difference. So for example, we are in a technician shortage nationwide. I'm sure comment down below if you've experienced it, but we are hurting for technicians where I'm at. They're actually offering both sign-on bonuses for pharmacists and technicians in many pharmacies in the area where I'm working. We don't have enough pharmacists um, coming in. We had a lot of people retire or leave or move to different environments within the pharmacy profession that worked better for their life. So we are seeing those sign-on bonuses again. Well, if you're so short-staffed that you are barely getting the prescriptions out the door and you're worried about making sure that you can safely do your job, it's going to be really hard to see any interventions that your company makes actually show any impact if you are just barely scraping by. And so unless that change that they're trying to implement is more staff to meet those shortage demands, it's really going to be hard for those interventions, I feel like, to be seen as successful. So that was the bulk of this survey. I think it was really interesting to see, even though it was a very small sample size and mostly took into account community pharmacists, I think it did bring to light that not only has burnout worsened significantly since the pandemic for most pharmacists, but many of the drivers that are perceived by these pharmacists are outside of the individual's control and more in the control of the company, management, and even higher beyond that into the public. And because of that, pharmacists are relying on more systemic changes to help prevent burnout and treat it. But those changes that these companies are trying to make haven't been at least perceived as effective in most places that have attempted them. I hope you enjoyed this type of video podcast, and I will be sharing more of this type of content coming up. I have a really interesting article that I'm going to share with you in the next episode, so make sure you check that out if you are interested in residency or have done residency or a part of residency, it's going to be a little bit more residency burnout focused. And remember to go ahead and check out that burnout signs checklist. If you haven't yet, it's happyfarmlife.com slash burnout sides. Thank you all for watching or listening. And I will talk to you next time. Bye.